Hi, and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks, uh, a weekly podcast now where me and my buddy Paul Muadib, say hello, Paul. Well, hello, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we talk, uh, we're talking Twin Peaks from the, the very beginning to the very end and everything in between. Uh, I'm excited this week. Actually, really excited. I just finished watching the episode. We're on season two now. Episode one, May the Giant Be With You, directed by David Lynch, written by Lynch and Frost, and the teleplay by Mark Frost, which is kind of pretty much a snarky way of saying Frost wrote this. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, Yes, and... To give you an idea, um, this just came off, as you brought, listen, last week, came off of a huge cliffhanger. Um, and the critical response was largely positive. People really, really, really wanted to get into this. However, um, I'm going to get into some of the some of the the um, the receptions of where it were, and then maybe uh, Joe and I can discuss what we thought. Um in a review for the AV Club, Keith Phipps, uh, who we talked about last week, noted that, that there were quotes uh, that um, some moments were as strong as anything in the first season, but right from the beginning, it feels a little off. Even though David Lynch directs the double-length season, second season premiere, it lacks the sustained intensity of the first episode. Um, he added that the Giants' first appearance to Cooper is perversely unsatisfied, um, unsatisfying, but criticized the some of the episodes plot holes and gave it a B plus rating. Um, uh, Al Roby, who we talked about last time, know that episode eight features turning points for some major characters, um, as well as several occurrences of supernatural visions. Rated it a four out of five. And DVD Talks James S. Rich gave it a mixed response, saying that after the Giants appearance, quote, we're off to the racky races. And Rich added that almost immediately, however, one can sense creators David Lynch and Mark Frost are in the buckle under the weight of their own success. For their big return, they seem to be ratcheting up the weird to give the people what they want. More shut of donuts, more coffee, even worse. Worse, they start to indulge in the goofball humor that didn't play too well. What are your feelings about that, Joe? Uh, now, here's the thing. When I was re-watching this episode, you know... I've watched this episode numerous, numerous times, but for these reviews, I, you know, I'm coming in with more critical eye. I, I agree with some of it, except for that last one where it's the more goofball humor. This was one of the darker episodes I can think of, of the original run of Twin Peaks. And uh, I say that because there's not only tonally different, uh, excuse me, man, sorry, we'll get Continue. into it, but we'll get into it. But, Jerry Horn comes off like Frank Booth in a in a scene here. Like this to me felt more like Blue Velvet than Twin Peaks at points. I'm going to say that I think these people that reviewed this weren't looking as in depth as we were. Um, I have to agree with you that I I will agree with the plot holes. However, I feel that the Giants' first appearance is amazing. Um, And that I don't get the sense that they're buckling under their own, that that buckling under the weight. I do get the sense that 
that Lynch is not entirely thrilled as to what had gone on from the season finale to the season start. A lot of the background that was going on there. I don't feel it was the weight of the success. I feel it was the forced direction of where they had to go. Yes. And, and we'll get into it, but you can tell by <clears throat> what's a, a certain actress in the show. I felt like she started pushing her weight a little bit, uh-huh. <laughs> which brings us into a, into a wildly off course character tonal shift. <laughs> I would completely agree with you on that one. I think we're going to agree on the same one. So let's just get right into it. So the it opens up with Cooper lying on the floor. It starts off right where it left off. <clears throat> he's shot. He's bleeding. Um, His hair's thrown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone's okay. Let's talk about that right now. Every, the, <laughs> we discussed the continuity thing. And I get the feeling that not only, like, not that Frost lost control, that Frost didn't, I mean, not Frost, that Lynch didn't care anymore, um, given what was going on with the with ABC making him do um, writing shifts of things they didn't want to do. And Lynch does have kind of a problem with continuity on some things. Um, everyone's hair is longer in this one. People definitely look aged. And... <clears throat> It doesn't feel like it's seven hours later. It feels like it's years later. Um, and I, I don't know if Frost, there were some things that Frost didn't like from the first, you know, he having wrote this one that he didn't like about some characters because just kind of the way they are shifts a little bit. Did you catch that as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, this was a, this episode stood out to me because there was a tonal shift in, a, in some of these characters. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go on, but yeah, I did recognize that it kind of stood out. Yes. So obviously Cooper's hair is longer. Um, he's on the ground. You can see him bleeding, which we'll get to. We'll get to um, from being shot. Um, Deputy uh, Brennan's on the phone from Cooper. Are you there? Cooper, are you there? And in walks, Hank Warden, the waiter. Yes. Uh, I love, I love Hank, the waiter. Uh, he is, uh, this was kind of a cool thing. And uh, because you kind of, I assume when, you know, I first saw this, like he was just a senile old man. We find out, I forget if it's in the season two finale or if it's in fire walk with me. He is a lodge entity. <laughs> you find out in Firewalk with me, but uh, when everything is revealed, I think in episode eight, um, you 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 should have put two and two together that he's a lodge entity. Yeah, yeah, but that and was he, like. And he basically tells you in the scene that he's a lodge entity that I think went over a lot of people's heads. Yeah, he's, and this is a, I love this character, like I've said. Um, there's even, there's some, can I've read theories that he is, there's familiars so like Mike Gerard, the true salesman, is a host to Mike. Yep. Uh, the killer is a host to Bob. And mm-hmm. this guy, originally, I, they cut, I, because the giant appears right after him, and a lot of a lot of people were theorizing at the time that 
he was, uh, you know, a host of the giant. That is not the case. <laughs> These are kind of like the overseers. We don't know, and I don't even know, you're, we'll get into it. Is the giant the same as the fireman? Well, and I think we're going to get into that when we get into the return. Because I have thoughts on that, big time. I do too, but I just want to raise it here. Just let us know there. Same actor. It could be a different character. Well, remember, the waiter was played by Hank Warden, and the giant was played by Carol Strucken, yep. who was um, Lurch. Yes. <laughs> yes, in the, in, the, in the Adam Family reboot. He was Lurch. Yeah, they do what they want to do. They say what they want to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I love this scene because Cooper is shot. He's talking to himself. Um, he makes a point of mentioning that he left the recorder, hopefully on voice, activated, which was at the time, that's a sophisticated piece, uh, sophisticated piece of uh, tech right there. And um, what I love about you could tell, even though he hates it, there was Dune written all over this scene. When <laughs> when Cooper's talking to himself about he mustn't fear and the shots and the way he's laying down, it was like that could have been intertwined in any scene with um, Kyle MacLachlan as Paul Atreides laying down, talking to himself in Dune. I totally i was like oh my god this is this is david lynch giving homage to dune right here well lynch recycles his ideas a lot i mean that's just that's mm -hmm. no secret uh that and yeah you're right it is dunish and yeah but you'll there's moments where it's just like oh yeah i'll see things and be like that's elephant man uh we'll get it to it in the return we're like holy shit that's a racer head Absolutely. Never thought he'd kind of return and try to, you know, expand upon. I don't, you know, we'll get into our theories about shared universes or whatnot in Lynch's work, but when we get to it, but yeah, he likes to borrow. He likes to reuse ideas. He likes, if he likes something, he'll use it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he definitely used it right there. So, yeah. So he's talking himself and then, and then, and then the waiter comes in. <laughs> I just love it. It's so long, and like you, I know you can just tell like a casual viewer is just getting so angry because yes. this guy is just not, <laughs> you don't know who he is. He's just like he's old. He's he's bringing warm milk. Cooper's bleeding like a stuffed pig. Oh, yes, I love it. I yes. Love it. <laughs> and the conversation. He's you know old and senile. He's like you know call the doctor and. You know, you hear him fumbling with the phone and takes it from the hanging up. The, he, and he hangs up on Andy. <laughs> he hangs up on Andy. Hangs up on Andy. I hung up the phone for you, you know? And then and Cooper, though, <clears throat> he's shot. I mean, th th this gives credence to his character. He's shot. He's not panicking. And he has the wherewithal to ask this guy, still his nicety, if, if the gratuity is included for the warm milk <laughs> when he yes. signs because he hands on the paper he's like need you to sign here i mean it's brilliant it's just i love that scene i love that character i do too and uh you know he's it's record he's recording it so uh yeah it's <laughs> the man you know delivers the milk and he has the longest exit <laughs> 
I think any character TV's had up to that point where he just keeps, he walks out, he walks back in, <laughs> gives Cooper a thumbs up. A thumbs the, up. The, the slowest decrepit thumb up you'll ever see. <laughs> he waits for Cooper to return the gesture. <laughs> yes, yes. But the thing that also that also stuck out to me was he goes, I've heard of you, you know, and that that to me was the first clue of something's not right here. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously the whole thing's not right, but you're going, this is going somewhere. And um, then the fucking, I love it. I remember being a kid, seeing this scene, hearing the music shift and the room go black and just getting goosebumps because it freaked me out. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lynch does hor- horrifying things with very little. And all it takes for him is like a spotlight in a dark room on like a creepy looking person to haunt my dreams forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or even a, a creepy looking bum at, at behind the <laughs> Tinky's diner behind by the dumpster and Mulholland mm-hmm. Drive. Just he uses it so effectively and it doesn't take he does you know, he doesn't have to use like elaborate jump scares or anything he just allows the scene to just creep you out slowly and surely and i and i also feel like in this one what he used and what he, what he does a lot is he's really good at, at at um tonal shifts like really abrupt tonal shifts he takes this thing that totally sets this mood that nothing creepy is going to happen and then just goes full creep mode on you and, and zero to a hundred yeah right he- yeah, he does it even a little later with uh, Maddie in the car. Yes, yes. But yeah, so here the giant comes, and we find out, unlike the little man, because we don't know what the little man is, but he he's somewhat menacing because he's cagey about Laura Palmer. The giant pretty much explains that, that he is a friend and he's there to help. Cooper asks, who is he? Who is he? And the Giants like, the better question is, where have you gone? <laughs> That's is, huge. Yeah, where have you gone, right? Yeah, like, and having watched, you know, knowing the return, this this me this is a loaded statement. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially Absolutely. with and how time is not linear for these entities. And what also kind of what I also love about that is this really also sets up. I mean, when you read the secret history, the final dossier, you really get in the return, the missing pieces. Um, this is really where it gets interesting into the lore, right? Like, yeah, that one word sets the whole I feel like sets the whole thing for what is the awesome Twin Peaks lore. Yeah, it uh, you know, you know, where are you? And the fact that in secret history, they bring up. That there was a race of giants in the Twin Peaks and, like, white Indians and stuff like that where you're just kind of like, you know, there's more to this world. And that's why I have conflicting feelings on who the giant is. And we'll get into, like, the fireman. Again, it's the same actor, but we don't know. Lynch and Frost are sure as shit never going to tell us. So no. we got nothing but a podcast to wax our... Uh, theories on but he does uh he offers them he's giving cooper three three clues 
uh, yes. if Cooper sees these things, then he knows he can trust the giant and this is real. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'll go, I'll go through these things. I wrote them down as I was happening. Yep, the first one it. is there's a man in a smiling bag. Two, the owls are not what they seem. And three, and when I heard this, I realized I fucked up at the tagline last episode. That's all right. Without chemicals, he points. Uh, yes. So, yes. We have then, these- he, then he asked Cooper for his ring. I just want to move a little bit here, then we'll, I'll go back. And he says, you'll, just, you'll get your ring back when you discover the meaning of your clues. And true. Yep. And then he says one more. He says, Leo locked inside hungry horse. There's a clue at Leo's house. And Red Herring. Red Herring. And I I have to say that the delivery of, of, of Carol in this scene, the way he does it, the way Lynch directed it, the shots are just awesome. They're just they just ooze creepy. Yeah, it's again, he uses that spotlight very effectively, especially he does this a lot in like especially his post Twin Peaks work, uh, the spotlight is kind of like a and like headlights at night he uses a lot on driving scenes. This but this was just it's creepy. It's creepy as fuck. Like if if the giant would have been an evil entity i think i probably still have nightmares to this day if that's, this scene turned out to be sideways <laughs> yeah um so then he vanishes and yeah. um you know he starts he starts talking about his dying wishes and how he wish he you know done the Lindbergh case of the Lindbergh <laughs> case and everything and but then when he's doing it he looks up and he's like, my ring's missing. He was real. So the question I have is that they got all these tapes. And knowing what we know about the Blue Rose, did they capture the giant on that tape? Yeah, that's the thing. We, we don't know. Uh, we do see that in the reveal episode, time stops when these entities speak to Cooper. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if they caught it, but they might have heard Cooper's uh, wanting to climb a hill and sit on grass that's cold but not too cold. <laughs> His weird ramblings as he's bleeding out. And then, of course, mm-hmm. Harry and Andy and Hawk come showing up. It's just good because I don't know how long Cooper... That, that gut shot, I mean, I mean, I saw Reservoir Dogs. They're, they're not pretty. Well, we're going to talk about that gut shot in a little bit because I have issues with that gut shot. But <laughs> so they show up and they bring him to the hospital. And there's this weird dissolve. And, you know, again, Lynch likes his kind of goofy special effects. So it definitely I will say that that special effect, even at the time, looked like something out of a um, um, a public access television show um, kind of dissolve. Um, <clears throat> but. So they tell him, Lucy tells him all this shit that went on, right? And we we talked a little bit about this in, in before in one of the previous episodes. 
my favorite line is, how long was I out? And yeah. they're like, it's morning. <laughs> yeah, so like, Lucy pretty much is our exposition recap on the events. So even though the episode had like a recap at the beginning, Lucy still, you know, <laughs> Catherine and Josie are missing. Uh, the, the pill burned down. Leo Johnson was shot. <laughs> Jock I mean, Renault was killed. <laughs> um, just everything that's gone on, right? <clears throat> yeah. And so, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go on. I, I was going to say so, Cooper decides he's going to get up and he's going to make it out there. And he just got his ribs taped up. No. No, when, 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 when Doc Hayward explains to him that he's got the cartilage tearing and, and you know, he shows him the bullet that shot the tick covered in blood. Which, I love that, that shot of the tick on top of the bullet. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, he, uh, no, because everything that he describes him means that he, that there wouldn't have been any blood, that the, that the, that the bulletproof vest caught all three bullets. He wouldn't have been able to get up. He would have had to be there. There would have been blood all over the bandages. So that, to me, was, like, one of those mistakes. Like, yeah. you know, that's one of those oopsies type of moments. That's just something that, to me, like, just knowing my medical background, I was like, mm-mm, he's not walking. Recuperative powers, the wills invoke my ass on this one. He was shot in the fucking gut. Yeah, he was shot in the lower abdomen, and he's taped up in the ribs. So, yeah, that... What happened to the gunshot? <laughs> he right. kind of vanished. Right. So there is another kind of con- continuity issue. It would have been better if they just kind of had... I know they did it for dramatic effect for when they added it in, but they should have because... Or at least changed the timeline a little bit because if that went through his lower abdomen, there would have had to been surgery done on his intestines, things of that nature. He wouldn't have been even out of fucking anesthetic for at least yeah. two days. There's a good chance like, for as long as he was laying there, he would have gone into septic too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there's a problem there. So, um, but he gets up and he goes. All right. And go ahead. Okay. So yeah, they go. Uh, I'm gonna jump back. A yes, bit please. Now because please. I want us. I want us to jump back to. Because after. Uh, the giant and everything. We go back to One-Eyed Jacks, and this is what I was talking about, a tonal shift with Jerry Horn. And this is, uh, this takes a tonal shift for the everything we've seen from season one, and we're at One-Eyed Jacks with Blackie. Uh, the camera angles are very disorientating through this whole episode. It's it's a different, it's, you know, it's obviously it's, Lynch is a filmmaker, he's going to take take risks and you know i appreciate it and but it gives a whole different it's like i'm watching a different show compared to what i just watched last season and especially with like the con content gets darker here blackie is not just running the whorehouse she's a junkie and jerry is like he's basically like frank booth like he's yes. her, and he's like she needs a fix and he just kind of like throws it at her like this goes against like kind of like this is even you know like this is such a weird take on jerry horn considering like we never see this again even in the return because in the return he's just like some stoner (laughs) if you remember 
I brought this up previously. I said there's going to be a thing here where Jerry Corn is going to go way against character. Um, I talked about that a couple podcasts ago, and this is exactly the scene I was talking about. Where this is, yes, he's Frank Booth. He's completely out of control, and it is a Jerry that you never see after, you never see before, you never see after. Yeah, and this this whole scene with Blackie was just blue velvety to me. Like you know, you were talking about the nod to Dune. Mm-hmm. This was a nod to Blue Velvet. Like we're kind of like going through Lynch's up to this point kind of like his works minus Eraserhead. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I didn't catch any, but I'm sure there might have been a Eraserhead reference in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, no, Jerry is. Yeah, you find out that she's a junkie, and he's the one that's that's keeping her junked up, and he's just berating her, belittling her, and is pissed off at her. And the reason why he's pissed off at her is because Ben's going to be fucking the new girl. That's yes, that's really what you get. And you get the conclusion of Ben f- trying to fuck the new girl. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, you mean his daughter? <laughs> <laughs> and again, this is like where we left off in the cliffhanger. It was it it was, you know, it was menacing, but it was like a little lighter. Here, it, the tone is just dark. We're getting these Dutch an- angles again from Lynch. Uh, you feel a more sense of dread here for Audrey as uh, Ben's trying to break in the new girl. And she's fighting and putting, you know, try- basically saying no. And, you know, nobody says no to Ben Horn, especially a hooker working at his whorehouse. Mm-hmm. It's creepy. And she masks herself. She's doing all her can, be, all she can, because uh, you with somebody like Van Horn. I even think Audrey at this point doesn't know what her father is capable of. Yeah, I mean, in her mind, he could be the killer because everything was leading to, in her mind and in her world. And if you look at it from her perspective, all clues of Laura Palmer's death. She's been in that whorehouse for a while. She doesn't know what's going on outside. All avenues are leading to her dad killed Laura Palmer. Yeah. At least, like, from her investigation. Because we have to right. remember, everybody here is doing their own little investigations. Audrey's doing her thing. We got the Nancy Drew mysteries with Donna and James and whatnot. But, yeah, it's this is creepy. But Jerry interrupts. Jerry yes. interrupts. Yep. Jerry interrupts and kind of saves the day. And Audrey is just shell-shocked at this point. Yeah, Um, some trauma that, wow. Yeah, that's some trauma. So, so Cooper's trying to leave the hospital, and he's saying he's okay, and I love this whole episode, he's hunched over. That is something I will say that I caught uh, caught wind of the entire episode. He did a really good job. He's not the straight-backed, you know, character he was. This is a little bit of a glimpse into a broken Cooper. Yeah, um, he, he's not well, in good shape. <laughs> he's not in good shape, both physically and a little bit mentally. And as he's walking, he's like, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. And Doc Hayward's trying to stop him. He's like, who's that? And they're like, that's Leo Johnson. And he's in a body bag. And he goes, is that bag smiling? And Lucy's all pissed off. And she's like, what's there to smile about? And, like, no one catches that this dude was just shot and is possibly fucking hallucinating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
uh, yeah, the denizens of Twin Peaks, they're kind of a selfish crew of people at times. A little bit. So, so after this, we kind of, we pan, and this is a, it's a nice little Easter egg. It's uh we see the mills burned down. It's a TV report. And guess who? It's Mark Frost as Cyril Pons. Yes. Yes, a which is TV anchor who uh, has his own Twin Peaks wiki. Uh, he does a lot of the bylines and secret history. He's like the town reporter. Uh, and Frost even gave him an unofficial uh, background as to how he got fired from journalism, as which he dropped an F F bomb during an on air earthquake. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's so. awesome. Um, um, yes, so then um, they, they made the comment when, when Cooper was laying down that he needed to get uh, a search warrant um, for um, Leo's, Leo's apart, Leo's house, but he, they, they actually don't because he was shot there. Yes. So it's, a, uh, it's already a crime scene. They don't need a warrant. Uh, yeah. So they do invest, and Cooper realizes right away Leo was shot from the outside. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, he was attacking something with an axe. They don't know <laughs> if it's Shelly. But... No, that's my, okay, I want to talk about this a little bit. Because they get there, and so he's like, hey, <clears throat> a scene is coming to me. He was shot from outside. And Sheriff Truman's like, why? And I'm going... Because the glass is on the inside of the house, not the outside of the house. Like, come on, man, you're a fucking sheriff. And he points to the fucking metal geese and goes, the same geese were flying last night. And I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, he was fighting an intruder. Intruder knocked over the TV. And, and Sheriff Truman's like, was it Shelly? Shelly weighs 99 pounds, soaking wet. There's no way she moved a TV that, that hard. He was, he was attacking someone with an axe. And then he was shot. Was it Shelly? Get your mind off of Shelly. We'll find <laughs> out what happened to her once we know what happened at the mill. Remember, she was found at the mill. There's no way he could have fucking... There's no way she could have shot Leo and then tied herself up at the mill. What the shit, Truman? <laughs> oh, Albert was right. <laughs> Albert was right. And so, speaking of Albert, he shows up. Albert's it, back. Agent Rosenflower. It's Agent Rosenflower. <laughs> and he met, screws up his name every time he says it in this episode, and it's great. <laughs> it is great. It's great. It's a running gag the whole episode. And they find they find the duster drenched. Uh, they find first they find Leo's duster drenched in gasoline, and they immediately conclude that he was at the at the Packard sawmill, which fire, which we'll get to in a minute. She's um, the flesh world. Yep, yep. They find the flesh world with the, uh, and then they, uh, when when Andy finds um, uh, Agent uh, Rosenfeld, he runs and hits a board, and then that board happens to be a boot that was sold by the one armed man. If you put two and two together, you're not told this part yet, but it's the same brand that. That the one our man sells, and if you paid attention last last season, and they find a shit ton of cocaine, which is a red herring. At this point, we don't care. Yep, yep. We don't we don't, we don't give a fuck about it. 
Um, So then we get to the next creepy part that you're talking about, which is um, when Sarah. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, Maddie, Laura Palmer's cousin, who happens to look exactly like her. uh, She's telling Sarah about a dream she had. And uh, it's creepy now knowing more about Sarah and what Sarah is. And I don't want to give too many spoilers, but if you're listening to this, you'll already know. If you watch their turn, you know what Sarah is. So her intrigue into Maddie's dream has a little more creepiness to me when I watched it this time around. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about how she saw blood on the, in that area of the carpet. And this is, if there is ever a foreshadowing that <laughs> this, I mean, Maddie see, pretty much sees her own death here. Yes, yes, yes. Maddie is getting her own death. Yep, and she's having a premonition about it. And mm. uh, that's not good. And she's describing it, and Leland pops in with shock white hair. <laughs> Which is, you know, when going back to when I didn't really know, that is a big clue. But at the same time, it also shows kind of the change of the character because of what we know what happened last episode, which was he was the one that killed Jack Renault. Yep. And all of a sudden he's back to normal. He's fine. And it totally makes sense. This is a guy that came to peace because he killed what he believes was his daughter's killer. And he's singing Marzi Dotes. Over and over and over. Yeah, Leland just won't fucking stop singing in this episode, too. (laughs) No, no. But knowing what we know, it goes back to the whole there's always music in the air, right? Yeah. So, you know, so there's, there's a lot of things there. Um, yeah, they're both, yeah, they're just crazy, and he runs off, and then she has the vision about her blood and starts freaking out. Um, and it's kind of a creepy effect, too, just because it it doesn't just, like, spill, it comes in pieceworks, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually a really interesting effect. Yeah. Um, so then I think we get to the character that you wanted to talk about a little bit, um, throwing the weight around, which was Donna Hayward. God, oh god. Okay, yeah. Go for I it. I haven't read. I've, I've read just like you know, gossip and behind the scenes and stuff. Like, uh, going into season two, Laura Flynn Boyle, uh, she's becoming kind of a bigger star, and uh, she's. I feel like she probably started throwing her weight around because her character takes a complete one eighty here in tone and everything. Uh, she meets with Maddie at the uh, double R and she's wearing, she, Maddie gives her Laura's sunglasses and all of a sudden Donna's like, instead of like this sweet high school girl, she's like a femme fatale from a film noir. Like, it's just like, what, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's really not okay. Like, the character that she was, I mean, obviously she aged, and it is, fuck, it is bad. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense. And it's not explained, I mean, obviously if you're looking for explanations in a Lynch project, 
it's a fool's errand, but like I want some stuff to at least make sense tonally. And this is not something that makes sense at all tonally. Yeah. She's just kind of becoming, and she kind of switches back after a while. Cause I think the fans were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Cause she kind of goes back to how she was. But in this episode, it's like, she's trying to be a badass. And it's just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work for the character that we met in the, the very first season. And she finds, but, you know, here we go. She gets a letter at the double R to look into the Meals on Wheels, too. But I'll let you continue with the tonal shift. Just, yeah, this one really bothered me. About it. <laughs> this No, this really, really bothered me. Like, this is... Like, again, it's supposed to be seven days. All of a sudden, she's smoking. Everything you saw, on the other hand, like, you make a point at one time where she puts the cigarette out underneath the, the thing. She has been an innocent character throughout the entire first season. And we talked, we, we, we dug into this in the last podcast about kind of, you know, Laurel Flynn Boyle really kind of, you know, she was with um, Cooper, which is what changed this whole thing with Audrey and kept Audrey pretty much away from Cooper the whole time. And as I was getting this impression, she's not around James a whole lot either. Um, through, through the season. I mean, James freaking takes off from Twin Peaks and doesn't have anything to do with her. So, yeah, I mean, she was really throwing her weight around. And that's just problematic as fuck to me. Yeah, it's the uh, reason Lynch is... I think his experiences with Twin Peaks, like... He really doesn't like act actors like trying to like pull shit with their egos. There's a funny story about filming the return, and uh, Jim Belushi tried to ad lib, and Lynch just kind of said, "I don't think so." <laughs> yes, like, don't do this. This is not. That's not going to make final cut. Don't try to ad lib. You know, mm-hmm. he does not like when actors try to throw weight around, and this might probably be why. Yeah, um, and I, that very might that very much might be why. And um, yeah, it's bad. I mean, it's it's just it's so stark when when you go, because especially when you're watching it in like in order, like we are, like okay, I'm sure people were less whatever about it when it had been months between the episodes, but when you're watching it you know, like you are on DVD or on streaming and it goes right from that part to this point, it does not line up very well at all. Um, It makes no sense. Like, there's no rationale behind it. Uh, We're not explained, like, was there, like, something that happened that made her feel more hard and cold? You know, we don't get anything like that. We just get, like, a completely different character with the same name. Yeah, and what bothered me was the way that, you know, Maddie brought up how they were concerned, rightfully so, about Dr. Jacoby. And they're like, she's like, yeah, but Dr. Jacoby was jumped. Yeah, but what if we caused it? And she's like, and what if you, what if the sun doesn't come up if you don't wash your hair the next day? Think like that, you're going to go crazy. And I'm like, whoa, Frost, what are you writing here? And secondly, that's not Donna. No. That's not Donna. Uh, again, this might have been an actor demand uh, at this point. Because people have to remember, this was the most popular show, really, on TV. Uh, everybody was engaged. 
So going into the second season, the actors had a lot more weight to throw around because they could just, you know, break contract. It happens. They could just, I mean, if you want to look at people just walk away from shows, you know, Chevy Chase has done it. (laughs) Like people just do it when they, when they can. And going in, Mm -hmm. these people are hot commodities now. They're, you know, Twin Peaks isn't the only thing they're working on anymore. Like in the first season, that was probably most of what everybody was only working on. So, yeah. So I have a feeling she probably threw her weight around. Oh, uh, yeah. And it blew yeah. up and nobody liked it. And they got notes and they're like, you have to turn this back. Otherwise, we'll just get rid of you. <laughs> yeah, because it does start to dial back a little bit over time. But, yeah, this was just woof. Um so, yeah, she gets the note, and... Um, yeah, the note, it, it, it's from Harold. It, we'll okay, just, I was going to say, are we going to say it now? Because, yeah, that, that's kind of part of the yeah. mystery is, who's it from? But, yeah, later you find out that it is from Harold, and um, um, which makes sense. And then Maddie goes on to tell them about, about, about the, the hair. Um, is this the double R scene? There's two seasons. No, this is the double R scene. Before he even gets them talking, has the guy in the trucker hat just yeah. really randomly and bizarre. Man, that pie's so good. Yeah, this is Lynch. Uh, just you know, he allegedly he had a lot of trouble shooting with commercial breaks in mind, and uh, he found it pretty stifling. That was like in a special feature, like when these DVDs first came out. I mean, it's not a lot. It's not a secret. He he struggled just because he want when he wants to give a scene more weight or more air, you're confined by commercial breaks. So I think he's just kind of doing what he wants within the little frame of time he has from scene to scene. And I I like it. I like I like that. It's just weird, but I, I loved it. I was just like, man, that's awesome. That that that's a that's a very Lynch Frost thing for them to just throw that in there. Um, I, yeah, I absolutely adore that scene. And all throughout this thing, you're getting glimpses of people in the hospital. Um, you're getting, um, um, you know, you see that, that Pete's in the hospital, you see that Shelly's in the hospital. Um, and, but they go back to the share station and they're talking, you know, Cooper's asking, um, Albert why he's there. Yep, and Gordon Cole has ordered him there. Mm-hmm. Gordon is, you know, is David Lynch, <laughs> David Lynch's character. Uh, I I think we just heard him on the phone. I forget if we haven't seen him yet. We haven't seen him haven't yet. Seen nope. Him yet. Okay. But we've heard him on the phone. I think you overheard him like yelling in like one of the episodes. I could be wrong, but I feel like it's it is David Lynch's kind of like cameo, put himself in his own project. He he does. Does the character pretty good, but uh, we also have to point. Albert's pointing out to Cooper here that his his investigation is in chaos, and mm-hmm. he points this out because two suspects are dead. <laughs> One suspect's dead. Two are in a coma. Uh, you know, he's been shot. He's a federal agent who's just been shot, and probably not by any of these people given the timeline. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Albert is hinting at something that's to come, that Cooper's really fucked up this investigation pretty hardcore. Um, 
which is, you know, they did it, I think, in the right way of yep. not diminishing Cooper's, you know, star and um, how awesome he is. But at the same time, like this and points out to the audience, this is off the rails. And yep. then um, Andy Burson and says, I solved one of your clues. I solved your riddle. He talks about how he said yep. Leo and a hungry horse. Yep. Leo the, the, was. A... Go yeah. ahead. Oh, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Andy's figured it out. The hungry horse thing, because uh, what? Do, 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 do. Yeah, uh, Leo was locked in jail in Hungry Horse, Montana, uh, February 9th, nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, thus, making Leo not a suspect in the murder of Teresa Banks. Uh, yes. Yes. So, which puts a real big problem in Cooper's case because all the evidence so far points to Leo, but these murders are obviously connected via, you know, the the pieces of paper found under the the the, the fingernail, uh, how the murders are very similar, troubled young women, bludgeoned to death. Uh, raped and all that. Uh, yeah, and so this, you will learn <laughs> more about Teresa Banks in in Firewalk with me. Yes, uh, I don't know if we needed any more more about Teresa Banks, but again, that goes to I, I believe that's probably a lot more of McLaughlin not wanting to do that movie that they had to rewrite the whole first half. <laughs> but I could be yes. wrong. No, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Um, um, that, that has a lot to do with that. And, um, they, so now they know that Leo isn't the one that killed Laura Palmer, um, which is kind of huge. Cause now as the audience are going, what the fuck's going on here? Everything was pointing to Leo. Um, um, so then we get to the point where. The one-armed man shows up, I think, with the boots. Other, other, yep, other. Yep. Yes. I just want to going back. Even Lucy notices the one-armed man. <laughs> uh, we brought this up, but in the pilot, mm-hmm. Cooper just doesn't notice a strange one-armed man in the elevator with him and Truman. Even Lucy notices this, which yeah. Cooper's uh, investigative skills of knowing who's sleeping with who. That's great if he wants to impress the bookhouse boys, but yeah. Uh, when the secretary at the police station is noticing suspicious people better than your FBI man, you got some problems. Yes, yes. And then, so the, she's not going to bother him, even though we know the one our man's a big fucking deal. Fuck you, Lucy, this season, by the way. Um, instead, um, um, He's talking the he's talking the to um oh head head a uh, forehead um singer what's his name James Jesus yeah. Christ forehead <laughs> although I will say his hair's longer so he actually looks I actually like the way James looks in this season better than I did last season um I actually he, like him in this episode I like him in this episode he's really good he starts coming forward he tells the whole fire walk of me brings up the clue of Bob although 
it's not the Cooper. You don't know if Cooper ever gets that information from Harry. From Harry. Um, super interesting. Yeah, he's he's dropping these things. You know, uh, you know, he's like, and I like how he's just like, yeah, I bet it was just Mike or Bobby put this huge, this federal amount of cocaine in my tank. Like, yeah, you don't get to just shrug that off, James. <laughs> That's a felony's worth of coke you had on your on your right property. <laughs> But you know he's very forthcoming. He's like, I like how Cooper comes in and like he, you know, he's shot, he's hunched over, and he's just like, just give me the other half of the the necklace, James. <laughs> James, like, I I just don't have the patience for this shit anymore. Like, Cooper's uh, tolerance for James is like on par with ours. he's over it. He's over. I mean, he would, he calls him. He's like, give me the necklace. You know, I know you have this, blah, blah, blah. He's just kind of over James's bullshit at this point. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. So then then Donna shows up. Oh, God. Uh, and the wolf whistle when she shows up is just, just uh, yeah, all right. And she gets all, I mean, even to the point where James is turned off from her. She yes. shows up to see him, and James is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I, I did like that with James because it did also kind of show the audience that this is a different Donna and maybe this Donna isn't that great. Yeah, no, and I just, yeah, like, James is not being into it. Like, yeah, I don't think so. Like, leave me alone. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's like uh, Paul Rudd in Wet Hot American Summer. Like, you taste like a burger. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So kudos to James. You had one episode where Paul and I liked you. <laughs> uh, we, I, I did. I really liked him in this episode, and I really was excited for him. You know, when you when you look at him, you're like, "Hey, you're we're actually going to get a really cool James this season." Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> um, then then it cuts to um, them, uh, um, Truman and um, Cooper going to talk to Jacoby because. James confesses that he does he doesn't confess that Maddie and Donna were with him, but that yes, he went and did this. Um and um you know, he talks about the tape and how they how they got the necklace. So they're talking with with Jacoby. Which was Cooper has a weird aside where he's like, I never I didn't expect Jacoby of all people, like, dude, come on, like he was another huge red herring, like <laughs> I don't know why they even said that. It just seemed like a weird thing for him to say. But yeah, they go over to Calhoun Hospital, which I don't know if this is, you know, a reference to Frost's time in Minneapolis, but I'm imagining it might have been named after the former, the lake formerly known as Lake Calhoun, uh, sure. to, to talk to Dr. Jacoby. And mm-hmm. Cooper here, he's like, like with James, I'm tired of your shit. Don't. Just tell me what the fuck happened. Yep. Yep. And Jacoby does. He followed a red Corvette, uh, but his hippie car was probably, his hippie car was too slow. He couldn't keep up. So he ended up following James and Donna for some reason. We still don't know why he followed them. I mean, it's just kind of weird, but whatever. I'm, I'm on board with it anyway. Followed him and he took the necklace. Uh, and then Cooper and him are kind of talking and like 
Jacoby's kind of talking like maybe Laura, you know, she wanted to die. You know, maybe she put herself in these situations where she knew it was going to be dangerous. And, you know, she put herself in danger in order to, like, you know, in a weird form of suicide. He says uh, maybe she allowed herself to be killed after Cooper's like, Laura Palmer did not commit suicide. And this is kind of going into the psyche of Laura Palmer, which we don't get a whole lot because, well, we do in Firewalk with me, but at this you point, Firewalk me a lot. Well, we don't know Laura Palmer at this point. We've never met her. We've mm-hmm. just seen her dead body in the rocks. So and her is, stories. Yeah, and her stories. And we kind of get this term where she was probably dealing with a lot of depression. She was not mm-hmm. a, she was a very traumatized and sad human being. Mm-hmm. And then and, uh, go on. And uh, I just want to say, I want to elaborate on this a little bit because I thought that was really, really a great. Because then they do a cut to Laura's face and back to Cooper. He said, "No." He said, "You know, when I when I talked to her last, it was like she's changed. Like she came to terms. Like she knew she was going to die." And and you know, and he said, "Hey, she was going to allow herself to die." Then we get another big clue because I ask him about Jacqueline's death. Yeah, and he's like, "Guys, I was." heavily sedated and he's like but did you hear anything did you did you you know did you notice anything and he says um uh you know he's racks his brain a little bit and he's like there was a smell and he said it was this burning smell like scorched mortar oil yes and uh so this is a a thing that's also linked to the lodge the to get into the black lodge is a pool of scorched engine oil and some rocks surrounded by i think it's 12 sycamore trees well i think it's 12 sycamore pigs yeah but we also well, we totally glossed over what would become a red herring for leland with james so james is telling the story of laura one night and she recites the fire walk with me poem but she then she started flicking matches at him and say you want to play with fire little boy you want to play with bob yes and Leland recites this story in a few episodes later <laughs> that it happened to him while he was at his house in Pearl Lakes. So yes, yes, I yes. To... And we'll learn about that later. We'll learn about that later. Yes, but yeah, yep. this is the exact same story Leland tells tells the police later on in the show. But I just wanted to bring it up because I did notice it this. That she says that and that's like a huge, huge, huge red herring, mm-hmm. <laughs> along with the motor oil that, like, they were pointing toward the person here, and most people didn't pick up on it. <laughs> no, no, people did not pick up on it at all. And people have to um, know, Frost and Lynch knew who the killer was, and I think this was, these red herrings were purposely pointing toward this individual, and everybody missed it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 absolutely. Absolutely they were. And so, you know, while they're at the hospital, one of the th- one of the three other clues comes real. Um, he sees Jacques Renault's body bag hanging up and the zipper's down and it's smiling. Yes. Uh, I think the body bag, they're, they're drying out the body bag after it's been rinsed out. <laughs> So it looks like a smile. Yeah. Yep. So that that 
one of the things have come true, which is really cool, and it's oddly very quick <laughs> for a flu in Twin Peaks, but like we discussed before, I think people missed so many of them in the first season that they kind of had to beat people over the head with it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. They had to beat people over the head with it. So then it cuts to... Um, Bobby um, and Shelly. Bobby mm-hmm. visits Shelly. Uh, this is... The good thing about the Lynch-Frost episodes, like if you see their name associated, you know you're not getting a lot of B, or a lot of C and D plots, but you do have to get them just because they can't completely ignore them. Uh, Bobby visits Shelly in the hospital. Uh, the only remarkable thing, uh, you know, she tells him what happened with Leo, which is like whatever. But I do love the fact that the hospital food, everybody just complains about, and it looks like dried acrylic paint. <laughs> yes. Yes. Everyone is getting sick from this food. It's the running joke throughout the every time they're in the hospital. Someone. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and it's just dried acrylic paint on a like an old, you know, like elementary school lunch lunch tray. <laughs> Even like when they cut cut to Pete Martell, he's got smoke inhalation. He smells the food and he needs more oxygen. <laughs> Which that was probably my favorite. I love that. I love that with Pete. Yes, yes. <laughs> but so yeah, yes, we cut to Shelly and and Bobby, and Bobby's a different person too. Bobby's more caring in this one. Um, I felt um, he's, um, um, yeah. Yeah, Bobby's yeah. different. Um, and it's weird here. Like, I would have understood if we saw the scene with him and Major Briggs before. But I think this is before we get him at the diner with Briggs, with his dad. So, like, it doesn't make sense to me, continuity-wise, because he should still just be kind of an asshole. <laughs> That survived, an, you know, an axe-wielding Leo. Like, that would only reinforce his uh, dickishness. I don't think it would calm it. Right. Right. Um, absolutely. And But he becomes really caring. I really like him in this one. And then then after the, kind of the, the, the Shelly-Bobby thing, which is very little, you know, it doesn't not a whole lot, but Bobby does say he loves Shelly, which... Um, um then why is he framing james for this coke (laughs) like why does he even care at this point yeah yeah absolutely and that's that that's the part i have kind of the issue with there um so then we cut to another scene at the diner because we're talking about bobby and I, i love this because you get the first glimpse of what garland is in this season yeah he's like He's like a military Zen Buddhist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love Don Davis. I love Don Davis so much. And he does the role so well. And he tells Bobby about this vision he had. And he explains it's not a dream. Those are different. Because <laughs> those are from your subconscious. A vision is something completely else. So we also know that not only is Cooper having visions, uh, Major Briggs is, but they do it in a way that we don't put the two and two together, that these both these government guys are having visions of things. Uh, Briggs has other visions, and 
things we'll talk about as they happen. But yeah, he is. We brought up he's Blue Rose. He's Blue Rose guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Bobby asked him what he's what his job is, and he's like, and he's just like, it's classified. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's like, Dad, what do you do for work? And he's like, it's classified, son. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But he goes on about the huckleberries. <laughs> <laughs> They're particularly fresh. Yes. Yeah, uh, this vision he had where he, he fight, you know, he goes to the spring waters of where he was born and his psyche, and then he finds uh, his son and he embraces because his son has finally found happiness and contentness, which mm-hmm. brings Bobby to tears because this yep. is something Bobby. At this point, given what we know, this is not something he ever foresees happening to him. He's he's not a good guy. He's not a stand-up guy. But here's his father saying, you'll find happiness. You'll find your whatever. And it's it just damn near breaks him. It does damn near break him, which is really interesting is that he, um, um, you know, what we know in the return... He does become a stand-up guy, so he was entirely wrong. Who knows but he, he shot a cop? Yeah, he killed a cop. <laughs> he killed a cop, but it's okay because he was crooked, right? Um, so, so yeah, so now you get the cop. first glimpse of kind of this military man that was kind of blocked off on the first season. Is just really deep. He's going to be a really deep character. Yeah, he becomes probably one of the most important characters in Twin Peaks. Be. Secret history and especially the return, and we talked about it. It's crazy how they made him such like the biggest character of the return besides Cooper. Mm-hmm. And the actor and, was dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he is one of the biggest characters. And honestly, he's one of the biggest characters in both uh, Secret History and Final Dossier. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, Secret History for sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's fucking huge. Um, so he shares this vision then we cut to uh, Cooper he's laying it all out about what happened that night and you know it's basically we all know this but we you know there's but instead of getting the answers people are wanting like oh who so we're going to find out who killed Laura Palmer no there was a third man that night Uh, Laura and Ronette met with Jacques and Leo Jacques passed out Leo left them all there, and the third man took Laura and Ronette to the train car. Uh, didn't care about Ronette. Uh, Ronette's escape from that is pretty. I think it's pretty important because it shows a side. It shows the Lodge people saving somebody. Ronette was saved. And Laura was kind of not as lucky. <laughs> yeah, you know, and there's a lot to that. That's more in the in the in the in the secret. Uh, excuse me, in Fire Walk with me. Yeah, but I also think at this point, not knowing what's coming up in Fire Walk with me, you know, I'm I'm trying, you know, I'm doing both. I'm trying to put blinders on because I know what's coming, but I'm also trying to react to it. it to me, you know, looking at it for, without knowing that, it also just goes to show to me that Bob was solely focused on Laura Palmer. And that's kind of a big thing. Why was Laura the big deal? Why was it? Why was it Ronette the big deal? And that's kind of one of the mysteries too, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, 
but the reveal will show why Laura was Laura was the one. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so he lays it out to so the third man committed the crime, so and wrote, you know, did the put the fing, the piece of paper on the fingernail and wrote in their own blood fire walk with me. It doesn't match anybody's blood type. No, nope. uh, it's B negative. Mm-hmm. So now they have a they still have a person out there who killed Laura Palmer, but this pretty much wipes Leo Johnson, Jacques Renault from our uh, our from uh, our list. Yeah. from our list of suspects. And what's really interesting, if you pay attention to the fire walk, I mean, you're listening and paying attention to the episode. That's what James said. One of the poems that that he told her. And do you want to play with fire? Do you want to play with Bob? So now we're kind of on this thing where where, where, where Bob where Bob is, you know, like now we know. Okay, who's this Bob? We need to find out this Bob. Yeah, and the giant gives a clue to this toward the end. We'll get to that. We're heading there, but. So I just want to bring up because I love Albert. I love Albert. Andy starts crying, and Albert's just loving it. And he refers to this like, "Yeah, Andy, this is a real three hanky cry." <laughs> I laughed at that. And what does he call him? What he call? What does he call him this time? I can't. Oh, Mister the... Rosen Rosenfeld. Yeah, yeah, Rosenfeld. Yeah, Rosenfeld or Rosenfeld. Or no, um, Rosenfeld. I don't like the way you talk smart. I don't like the way you talk smart to, to Chair Truman. I don't like the way you do this. He just kind of berates him in front of everybody. And Albert doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> oh, Albert. <laughs> yeah. Albert gives, you know, I just love it. Three hanky cry. <laughs> just. I was rolling. I was rolling. I was just laughing so hard. I love Albert being just an asshole to everybody. <laughs> But yeah, so we now we know there's a there's a third third man out there, uh, and so then we get a little more B plot here, uh, which is uh, well we'll just do it. Pete comes home. We find out Josie has fled to Seattle. There's a mysterious uh, Japanese man looking for her in town. Uh, Pete's hacking up a lung. <laughs> Poor Pete. Mm -hmm. Uh, Blackie is upset with Audrey because she uh, upset the uh, owner uh, to the point where they lock Audrey in her room and have a security detail with her at all times. Uh, Donna is now taking over Laura's uh, Meals on Wheels route, which next episode, it's awesome. It has a cameo from Riley Lynch. David's son, who mm-hmm. looks eerily a lot like his old man. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then I, now this B plot, there's, there's part of the B plot where I do want to talk about, and that's coming up here where Ben and Jerry are questioning Hank on why he didn't fucking kill, kill Leo. And he's like, I put a center, you know, bullet, 44 bullet in the center of him, you know, and all this shit. And then they're talking about Catherine being gone. Leo being in there, and they're like, if they don't, if they don't hang Catherine for burning down the mill, you have the Ghostwood Project. You're the only one that was going to benefit from the mill burning yeah. down, Ben. How the fuck are you coming to that conclusion, you asshat? And consider, yeah, and what, yeah, and the fact is, like, 
they already linked Leo to this fire. I mean, the horns don't know that, but I mean, that's we're gonna try to lay this at Catherine's feet. It's not gonna happen because they're they're already sniffing at Leo because his duster reeked of the gasoline that burned down the fucking thing, and plus his wife was tied up in there. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's just it's it, it, he's. It, Worst business plot ever. <laughs> so bad. So bad. Um, so, yeah. It's, I, I just, I had to laugh at that, where I'm like, how did you come to the conclusion that they're going to hang Catherine for it when you're the only one that was going to profit from this, even with the books? And we'll get to that point, because they're arguing back and forth about what book they should keep and what book they should get rid of. <laughs> Fuck me. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. Uh, the horns are in way over their heads, I think. Uh, you know, they're rich, but I I think they just, this is something they're not good at. I think they're good at small time, you know, prostitution, drug smuggling, that sort of thing. Uh, corporate business shit like this, they, they, they are really bad. They're going to get, they should be caught like right away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we get a weird scene where this whole scene bothered me because it's just, I I, I don't know if it's the upbringing I had, Joe, or what, but the Haywards are having dinner. They invite over the Palmers and they're doing a um, dinner theater thing where the the kids kids are doing, yeah, where the kids are doing poems about Laura Palmer to the to the to to the Palmers, which I thought was in bad taste. Um, they're having them play dinner while they're playing very loud piano while they're trying to eat and talk. It's just really fucked up. Yeah, uh, we get uh, forget her name was it Gersten? Uh, yes, Gersten uh, Haywood. Which man, it took me a long time in the return to realize that was her. <laughs> right. Like, like, I was like, I, I remember just, like, the end credits, I was like, oh, my God, Donna's sister's in this, but she's not? <laughs> we all know why. <laughs> we, we all know why. We all know why. But yeah, so then, so then Leland, another song and dance routine from Leland, we we didn't talk about it because it didn't really matter. It's, it's just, like, a weird scene. Leland goes into the horns office and they all start singing and he starts singing and dancing they all start dancing and it's just like a it's just like a weird scene but like leland just can't fucking stop singing like he's just somebody put a quarter in him and he eventually exhausts himself because he does a thing again where he starts crying and passes out (laughs) yes yeah and i thought he had a heart attack right like i was watching i'm like oh my god he fucking he's had a heart attack no no i'm sure he's fine doc Edward just pulls out some smelling salts doesn't even check. So he kind of puts out his left arm and falls over like he had a heart attack. You're going, holy shit. But yeah, like Leland is off his tits. Um, although he earlier, we missed it. He did come back to the horns. And um, um, he was singing the Mersey Dote song. And they're all dancing together. He's like, I'm back. And, you know, he already pisses them off, though, because he called the fucking... Icelanders and told them what was going on about the fire and all this shit. And, <laughs> you know, so they're all pissed off again and I'm like, right away. So all this shit happens. I mean, again, this is like a double episode we're going through here. Yeah, it's it's an hour it, and a half long. 
It's yeah, it was a two hour long episode when it aired. Yes. And they um 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 uh they ends with Cooper going back to his room and he's just exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I mean uh he said was it been nineteen hours since he'd been found? Mm-hmm. Or since he was shot. I would yes. say found. My thing would be found because it's around the time he was shot. So I think he was laying there for like six, seven hours before he was found. Yeah, he had to be laying there for a couple hours before he was found, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So he's 19 hours and uh, he goes to sleep. And then we kind of get this thing of Audrey praying. Praying. But before he goes to sleep, remember, he, he talks to Diane and he says something like, I even I even had a hallucination yeah. that I saw a um, or giant. Or giant. And, then his ring, and his ring is gone. Mm-hmm. So, more clues to that might that wasn't uh, you know a knocking on death's door hallucination. This is kind of something that actually happened to him. Uh, you know, and we got Audrey praying for Cooper because she's now trapped at One Eyed Jack's. Uh, we'll fu- we'll get into that a little bit more. It's. I think after Ben tried to get, I think she should have just ran for the hills. <laughs> um, but she stuck around. So, yeah, we get that. But then the giant returns. And mm-hmm. uh, he tells Cooper to listen rather than talk. And he's like, don't. Yes. And this is kind of like the mantra for of Twin Peaks as a whole. What the giant says, and I think this is Lynch telling the audience. He said, don't search for all the answers at once. And that is exactly what the experience of Twin Peaks is. You're not going to get the answers all at once. Don't look for them. Uh, When the return happened, he said, look at the donut, not the hole. As Mm -hmm. in, it's the experience. It's not just the thing you don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I that was gonna bring that up because they 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 do do that with um um uh they 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 do do that with in the return is you know he brings it up you know he bring basically brings up the same thing about one stone after the other right um path is formulating one stone at a time and he but he does inform him that one person saw the third man um, how does he word it. He um, said something like one person saw the third man. Three have seen him, but not in his body. Yes. Yes, only one has. Um, yes. One person's actually seen this. The other, alluding to people have seen Bob. Uh, this would be Cooper, Sarah. Who else would have seen Bob at this point? Um, so the only people that would have seen Bob at this point was Sarah, was Cooper, and was the one-armed man, obviously, but that's neither here nor there. We don't know that. And it would have been uh, Roman uh, Ronette. Ronette, yeah. So three of seen. Yep. And not in his body. And then yes. a weird thing happens, and I'm I'm going to let you take kind of lead on this because it it gave me uh flashbacks to the return 
Okay. And then he says he for he tells Cooper he forgot something, and then a, shoots a golden ball into Cooper. Which yes. See in the return, those are typically sources of the tulpas. Yes. So, what part exactly? Let me ask you this: What part exactly do you want me to take the lead on? What do you? What just, do you just get, I just like to hear your ideas. Like, obviously, the return references this. So, what do you think? What do you think happened here? <laughs> so, well, I think what he was talking about with that was the was was the letter. Yeah, was the letter right of of uh, that you forgot. Audrey's letter telling Cooper where she was. Yes. Yes. And he, um, um, he, uh, does this and, um, um, the whole thing with it going into him though, I kind of felt like, I felt more like getting away from the turn. I felt this was more like part of him was there for him that as he got the clues, like he was somewhat traveling with him a little bit, or at least, you know, in a way that's, I know the gold orb in, in the return is great represents the Telpa, but, but, I, not but not all. And so that's kind of what I felt there was, um, he, uh, he was, does that, I mean, am I making sense at all, but that's yeah. more so what it was. And, I kind of felt like he was going to remember what, um, what, uh, about Audrey, but he doesn't. And, um, so I'm not entirely sure. Um, I'm kind of thinking, I don't know. Like I'm on your point with you. I think the giant put a part of him in Cooper and cause we have to remember, like, I'm just going to, you know, kind of delve into the return. Like, episode eight is the same. The fireman makes a golden orb that sends to Earth with the essence of Laura in it. And I think he uses this where Bob and Mike, at least with Mike, they inhabited, like, parasites. Where I think the giant is putting a part of himself in there, but as a guide, not... <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yes, yes, but uh, so there, but definitely something went into him, and you know immediately falls back asleep, right? And then the final, oh my god, this ending is so goddamn creepy. Oh god, I, this is probably what caused a lot of my nightmares growing up. <laughs> I have to, yeah, like this is hardcore. Like, yeah, I think this was truly the episode. Um, that really freaked me out. Yeah, because it shows Bob in his element. We see Ronette wakes up, uh, which would be a big enough cliffhanger on its own, since she, you know she's the only one who is a witness to the crime. But we kind of see from her perspective, and what she see, she saw the night Laura Palmer died, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so goddamn creepy. Oh, it's oh. it's. It's hardcore, and like I said, they retconned the this ending, which is crazy to me. Um, of how she Lynch, died. <laughs> since Lynch directed both. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Since Lynch directed both, 
that they did this how i mean this this whole scene where basically what's happening is we're not really telling you what's happening are we audience so it's cutting down a hallway and ronette and because he does say well the one person who saw her and you know who saw him is ready to talk and it starts cutting down you get like this creepy little wind music and you start hearing screams and ronette is having dreams of the murder and there is blood and you hear her screaming her name and bob is running and cre- crawling around this this uh um this um rail the, the, the this rail cart and um so yeah i freaking and then he's beating her to death with a rock and Laura's bloody and she's screaming. And then it ends with him with this fucking like weird distortion on his voice. You can't tell if he's crying or laughing from killing Laura. And that's how it ends. But then, and I totally got a return vibe here. It cuts to the Hayward girl playing piano as the <laughs> episode's going out. Yeah, it's one of... Only a few episodes, I think, where it doesn't end with the photo of Laura Palmer's high school picture. Uh, the other one would, was uh, episode three, Cooper in the Lodge. It cuts to the little man dancing. So we got kind of red herrings with that and that both these episodes end with a musical number. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's this uh, season two opens and it. Just overall, it's it's a lot more dark than what we got last season. It's a lot way, more dark. So, like going dark. back to those reviews, I'm kind of I'm kind of confused by like the slapstick comedy or like they're in over their heads or the wakes. I think they knew exactly what they were doing here. They knew exactly what they were doing, and I feel like this is like they already. Um. Um, Lynch directed this episode and the next episode, and I feel like it's a one-two punch to set up what the whole next this whole season was supposed to be before the networks decided they they were more creative than the creatives. I feel like though that they were giving away hints um, what was uh, what was going on. I feel like they already like Lynch was already kind of told like you're going to have to re- do some revealing here. And because I do feel like there's a lot of signs in this particular episode that now that you know, um, really point to who the killer is if you're paying attention. And I do feel like, in a way, now that we're done with the episode, is that there's like there's the continuity issues. There are some issues with a lot of things going around in the background. I feel like it's somewhat a way Lynch wanted to have it his way, but at the same time, I also feel like the shift in tonal is also kind of like David Lynch being somewhat disjointed from the project already. That's my, that's my opinion. I think even like, I think the darker tone may have even been both Lynch and Frost getting upset with. Yeah. And you can, you can tell when writers are not happy, the material tends to get a lot darker <laughs> because they're not happy. Uh, and, these are two guys who don't want to phone it in, but like, yeah, their mood was probably in a foul place. So they started taking the show into a dark foul place, which, you know, it made for an excellent hour and a half of television. It just felt like it's getting a little disjointed now that 
this is a huge property now and the network wants more of the same, which is not a thing that David Lynch has ever been interested in. He does not like to repeat the same projects. He doesn't want to do the same things. He's, he's an artist and I'm sure Frost, like he's in the same boat where like we have this really cool thing that we can do really cool stuff with. And it's just like, uh, well, you know, now you guys are a ratings juggernaut. <laughs> yeah. We have yeah. some notes. <laughs> I, I, right, right. And I feel like they kind of felt like they needed to know what, what they needed to do. But yeah, I already feel like they're on the, on the, on the path to having to do it. Yeah. Because I, the first season was, they were relatively left on the, to their own devices. There mm-hmm. wasn't really any oversight from the network because, by the time you're in the middle of filming the season, nobody knew. That's when it starts. They, you know, like from when they filmed and when it airs, I'm sure it was like they're pretty much almost done with the first season before they realized how big it's gotten. Yes. And I do feel like there's a lot of memos over the summer, like, hey, you're going to have to reveal who the killer is. Again, Lynch was going into the second season knowing it was going to be 20 some episodes instead of fucking eight. Um, yeah. And Frost too. Yeah, and it wasn't until after this episode they really felt, or after the first couple of episodes of the season where the network pretty much, I I don't know if it's it was an ultimatum, but it feels like it probably I think it was. was. I think it was. I, from, from my understanding of the situation, it was an ultimatum from ABC. Yeah, which is like, like Lynch has gone, like even like in a... Well, you know, because, you know, those DVDs and whatever, they have, like, all these special features. And Lynch refers, like, they were messing with the goose I was laying the golden egg. You just, it, you leave that alone. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you just leave it alone. Like, we were always going to have, that's that's what hooked people in. Like, we didn't have to reveal it, <laughs> you know? No. And, and the thing is, is that, but also, from my understanding of the situation was, the audience was getting um, not tired, but restless about about this. They kind of thought there was going to be a resolve of that going to another thing. I don't think the audience truly understood what the whole overarc was supposed to be. That this whole thing is about about not knowing who Laura Palmer's killer was and the journey and um, these things. So I think there's part of that that was going on um, was part of the problem and I think that they the that again the the at the time you have to understand as well taking it you know I'm not I'm not um, denouncing uh, you know Lynch's awesome amazing amazing brilliancy with the first season because it was there Network shows had a lot more power over what was being aired and what what they were what they expected from from the people producing their shows. They had a lot more power back then. Yeah, and there was only a handful of channels, and cable was still relatively new. Exactly, For a show like this would have benefited from being on hell, even like a USA in its infancy or HBO. HBO definitely HBO this this show would have benefited immensely from HBO and they um 
But, you know, the studios did what studios did at that time, which was you're going to do what we're going to do. You know, this is the this is the feedback we're getting from the audience, that type of thing. So I do feel like that that was part of what was going on there. Um, Now, real quick, you know, as you already mentioned, the 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 episode was was written by Mark and uh, Mark and Dave, you know, Frost and Lynch, and they had co-written um um the pilot and episode one and two together. They would then go on to do, Lynch would later direct episodes nine, episode 14, and then the series finale. Um, and Frost co-wrote another four installments of, of this season. But uh, I don't remember 14 being that great and why Lynch was involved in that. We'll have to take a look at that when we get there. Um, but here's what happened. It, it initially broadcasted, um, was watched by 19.1 million viewers, which represented 20% of the available audience. So it was coming off. It was still on that high from there. Then it was the most viewable episode of the second season followed, following its broadcast. The series dropped a whole bunch. Um, well, episode 14? That's, uh, that's the reveal. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm always off. Like, yeah, okay, so that does make sense. So okay. Episode 14 is the reveal, and then... Okay. I the for some reason, I thought it was like ten. Yeah, no, it goes. I'll I'll say this: like I, I was thinking about it, the season two works right. great up until what would been the uh, let's see uh, the seventh episode, mm-hmm. which is episode fourteen. Uh, yep. Well, basically, you have like another se- first season of Twin Peaks going here, and then you got a bunch of nonsense after. <laughs> yeah, and that's right because they're not called. I call it season. I call it season two, episode one. This is yeah. technically episode nine. That's right. Okay, so that's that's what it is. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Um, following episode nine, Mark 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 the decline of the show. So the show started to drop. So ABC was also like, hey, you guys need this. You know, people wanted to know who the killer was. And people were starting to get, I mean, again, they weren't used to this. They weren't used to being strung along. Um, so, yeah, they, um, they, the, we'll get in more and more as, as the season progresses as to what the fuck was going on there. But, yeah, basically season, uh, episode 14, and then really, so but the way I'm thinking about it is really about episode 16 when it really starts to shit the bed. And then going on, and then you got basically episode 17 through really 27 that are just, oh, my God. And then 28 is okay, and then 29 is where it ends. And that pissed people off, too. We'll get to that. But that's because Lynch was pissed off. Lynch is a vengeful fuck, as we'll, as we'll learn. Um, <laughs> but overall, I, I you know, it's, it's disappointing knowing where the season's going to go and what this episode was. Because this episode was amazing. Like, this is everything that I wanted more of in the first season yep. personified. Yeah, because a lot of things people were, you know, like, what we loved was the weirdness. And I think that turned up, soured some people. But whatever. Like, this episode and the next episode, especially the next episode with uh, the Meals on Wheels thing with mm-hmm. the house and the old woman and Riley Lynch. Uh, yes. Yeah, this, this was a one-two punch I think if they would have kept Lynch directing the rest of the season and Frost and Lynch writing it I think it would have probably been one of the, the greatest things on TV 
I mean, it, it was going to go all the, for the whole run anyway. Yep. So I'll just fucking let them do what they do, call it a day, cancel it. <laughs> but I, that, mean, I think I would have preferred that. I, I would have preferred cool that. things going on here. Yeah. That would have been awesome had they done it that way. So, wow. So that's that's it. We made it through this this this, this episode. Um, I think we hit everything we wanted to hit, unless there was something we missed, Joe? Nope. I think we hit everything. I think we did, too. Um, I'm just trying to think, was there anything else? I watched, Like I said, I watched this three times before we started <laughs> it um, because I really wanted to make sure I got it. I think we got to every... Oh, no! No, 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 no. We missed something. My Totally my bad. One of my favorite scenes... Is we talk about the 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 the, the B C plot is when we find out the story of Ed and Nadine and Norma in the hospital. Holy shit! Albert's response during this whole thing. So just gonna jump back real quick because I really love this scene where you know Nadine trying to kill herself. Ed's at the hospital. Ed, Harry, and Albert run into. Um, uh, uh, excuse me, Cooper, um, Harry, and Albert running the Ed. And you get the story about how um, Norma was ran off with, with Hank for a weekend, and Ed was beside himself. And um, he, Nadine was there, so he ended up getting wasted and screwing Nadine. And they got married, um, all liquored up, and he shot her fucking eye out. Like, you learn why Ed is so, like, why he can't let go of Nadine. The guilt of him shooting her eye out to this day kills him. Yes. Yeah. And it just shows, like, how much of a stand-up guy Ed is. Like, Mm -hmm. he is just, he puts other people before him, and it's... It's really just like you really root for this guy and uh, you just want him to be happy. And that's one of the – of all the things, there wasn't a lot of fan service in The Return, which I love. But there is one with Ed that I just Uh – thank God Lynch had a heart for that. Yes. So agreed with that because – and he did in a way with Lucy and Andy as well. Um, yeah. because as, as I mentioned earlier, I love Lucy and Annie and I cannot stand, like they make Lucy out to be really terrible this season. Oh God. And uh, I'm just kind of going, yeah, yeah, not after, not next episode, but, uh, episode three of this season, we get, uh, Dick Tremaine. Oh, dear Tremaine. Oh, thank God. Yeah, we'll get to Dick when we get to Dick. Dick is Dick. Uh, right. is Dick. Yeah, but, but during that whole scene while they're explaining that, Albert Albert's is laughing. Robert's losing his shit on this story. And just when he says, I shot her eye on that trip, the facial expressions of Albert is fucking genius. Just, he does like a total double take and is just dying laughing from this yeah. story. I don't know if anybody listeners know have noticed, but Albert's like our fucking favorite character. <laughs> Albert, Albert is, and it's, you know, there, there's a particular for me. There's a particular reason why later in the season of why Albert's my favorite character, 
and yeah. then just him through the entire return. And, you know, the thing with Miguel Ferrier is that he played a lot of villain roles um, when he was alive. And to have him be in a role where he's not a villain is great because he still kind of plays this anti-hero-esque character. Yeah, because even when he's a good guy, he's a dick. <laughs> it's yes. amazing. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. It's really, really amazing. So, okay, now we touch on everything. Fuck Gene Kelly. <laughs> Kelly. And he's, he's just, he's, he's fucking tremendous. Yeah, because... I, I'm really, I was really bummed when he passed away just because, like, like you mentioned, like, if I see something that he's in, I'll just <laughs> unplop down for two hours and I'm going to watch it. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I, my night's done. If I, if it's like, if I have plans to go out to a bar with some people and, like, I just happen to see on, like, Hulu there's a movie, I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, guys. I, I got to watch this. My night's ruined. <laughs> I got to watch it <laughs> I, I guess the other thing I want to say real quick while, while, while we're sitting here talking at the end here is we didn't really go into, you know, the side story that we've been kind of telling with, with Jacob Wetterling. Um, at this point, um, from what I can remember as a kid, got, it was yeah. There's nothing really. There, everyone had given up. Like this kid is not going to be found. Most people wrote him off as dead, as we talked about in the last episode. Um, um, you know, by this point, the the, the Wetterling Foundation was started. I do remember, and you know, I tried looking it up, but I thought there were a couple of of um, copycat attempts or was it kids that were pretending they were i do remember something vaguely about that but i can't find anything on it there is some things that happened between when the last season one ended and season two started between may and september of 1990 uh i'll just kind of yeah uh let me see here uh well it's the first time wait no nothing really happened nothing really yeah i was gonna say i didn't see anything that was happening now the other thing that was that was going on that is still a conspiracy theory um and i i'll bring up was we you know going back and looking at it there was um college guys and young and young people started around this time and still continues to this day joe the about the the i-90 the supposed i-94 killer smiley the smiley face killer which is still something that some people believe some people don't um and you know we started to see this uptick of this time of you know maybe because we were hypersensitive and whatnot but I mean, ever since really 1990 on, um, I think there was one not too many years ago of these male college students that were going missing in our area. Yeah, they were. It was long 94. It started, I think, it was like 2001 or 2002. It was pretty early because I was I had I was a few years out of high school when I first heard about the smiley face killer. 
the theory, the, the yes, the theory wasn't brought up till uh, sometime I went after high school. But looking at it, they are they have been tracking this since the early since the beginning of 1990. So yeah, so a bunch of college people, guys, college men were are being found uh, drowned, I believe. Drowned. Yes, yes, they're all being found drowned along the Mississippi slash I ninety four. Going from um, you know, from all throughout Minnesota, going down into Wisconsin to La Crosse, and there's like a 20 year stretch where, well, fuck, now it's 30 year stretch because it's still happening. Um, yeah. That these college kids are, these college males are fighting them, they're fighting them drown in these rivers, and you know the the idea is is that one theory I heard from a from someone who was like, oh, no, there's no way this can happening. See, when guys get drunk, they seek water, so they go to places of water. And I'm going, I got drunk. A yeah, no, seriously. seriously. <laughs> yeah. And I went, I got drunk a lot in St. Cloud downtown. Never found myself anywhere near the fucking river. Oh, um, this guy gave you the, the, his uh, imagined version of how Twin Peaks <laughs> No, this was an interview. This was an interview on television with a supposed doctor. I mean, this. I mean, it was this female doctor. I can't remember her name, um, but you know, she was like a psychologist, not an actual. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say not an actual doctor, but you know, not like a medical doctor, but a psychologist doctor, saying that no, 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 there's no way this could be. But yeah, so many years later, these this this the, these people came out and said, hey, we have been, and this is uh, around you know, a um, couple of years before we found out who killed Jacob Butterling, um. Where, yeah, this, 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 there's been like a 30 year stretch of these, and they call the smiley face killer, the smiley face gang. They think it could be multiple people that are doing it, could be copycats. But so now this is written in chalk, I believe, nearby where these people are found or near the crime scene. There's, there's a smiley face drawn. There's a smiley face drawn. Yep. And, you know, we growing up in this area, I remember hearing about these college students going missing. And again, we didn't know what was going on with Jacob Butterling and what was going on. You know, there wasn't a lot of connection made there, luckily so, um, because the age gap between who would what Jacob Jacob Butterling was and the other kid that was attempted kidnapped by the same guy, um, and these college students that was was wide, and they felt it was totally different. MO, but this is something that they had been tracking and we've been hearing about, and no one was letting was letting anyone know that it was even possible that it was some someone doing these things, that this was just a random horrible happenstance, and to find out that 20, 20 some years later there's investigators that are going, We've been tracking this whole thing up and down this stretch of highway, and we think there's something going on here. Yeah, it's just really suspicious that I mean I think like because I remember it happening because it was somebody at, was at St. John's uh, near St. in Collegeville. Yeah, when, St. John's. When it was like in 2001 is when I first heard Smiley Face Killer. Mm -hmm. Or I-94 Killer because that's when people were just like, you know, private citizens were starting to put some look into these and start kind of be like, wait, wait a second. These are these are very oddly similar cases. Yes. It's all down 94 goes from, you know, Collegeville through the Minneapolis down into 
fucking Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yep. And I remember because like I had a friend, like he was over at my place, like we we're just turned twenty one and we're having drinks, and then he's like, "Can I spend the night?" Because he's like, he was really freaked out about the smiley face killer, and I told him no. He had to walk home. <laughs> oh, <God>, you dick. <laughs> oh, it was it was our friend uh, Matt. So. Oh, uh, all right, all right. That's yeah. that's fair. That's fair, Matt. If you're listening, you earned that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this was also going on, and these missing like these missing cases were going on. Now, Joe, I don't know about you, but again, I'm nine at this point, um, almost ten. And, um, no, I am 10. I'm 10 at this point. And my brain is going, oh, my God, there's more kids going missing. Yeah, there was, a, like, a wave of, like, kids going missing. And that might have been because the Wetterling Foundation was built. Mm-hmm. And it was becoming more, it was becoming more uh, known when kids were going missing. Yes. I don't know if it was, like. I don't think necessarily thing it was just like fewer kids were going missing before Wedling. It was just now is getting publicized more, so people knew that this was an issue that was happening more than before J- Jacob. But in our minds, we're like, oh my god, it's like everybody's getting kidnapped because it's mm-hmm. you know Jacob got kidnapped. He just lives in the town up the road, you know. Yeah, yeah. So no, I mean there was this there there was this big fear in my mind of oh my god, it's happening more and more, and it just gave into my paranoia. Yeah, and, you know, you had friends that would say, like, well, I almost got kidnapped. You're like, oh, shit, really? And, like, you know, maybe yep. they did. I don't know. I'm thinking back. I think maybe a couple times that would have been true or once or twice. But, like, mm-hmm. not everybody I knew were like, yeah, I almost got kidnapped. I was like, looking back, it's like, that, they're so full of shit. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And, like I said, I have my own experience, and I never told anyone that. Yeah. Because it freaked me out so much. I would, having, having gone through it. Um, and you know, I mean, just again, having that happen and just kind of that, you know, that, that paralyzingness of it. And then the very next day they have Jacob Wedling gone. I wasn't going to tell anybody about it because I was so freaked out about it. I, you know, I want to forget it fucking happened. Yeah. And so maybe a part of it was like, if you said something, maybe that person would come back. <laughs> just like a right. weird, cause you didn't, when you're a kid, your imagination is going wild. Like, Oh shit. I told the cops and now they're looking for me. He might be pissed. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly. I didn't want anybody to know because I didn't want it to get out, right? Like that was my thing. You're, you're, you nailed it a hundred percent. It's like I don't want anybody to know because I don't know who this person is. It could be a fucking person from school. You just, you know, your trust, at least my trust, was just shattered with adults. Yeah, mine was too. Uh, it was scary. I mean, you're a little kid at the time, and like you know, Jacob goes missing, and then. Now, like when kids are getting kidnapped, they're on the it's on the news mm-hmm. more often than it was before, and that's that's thank thank God Patty Wetterling and her family spearheaded that sort of hundred percent, hundred percent. Dear God, because I, you know, you can't. I don't remember even hearing about kidnappings before Jacob. It just no. wasn't a thing that I remember hearing about. I mean, again, I was real little, but afterwards it was like, yeah, because they're raising awareness. Like, holy shit. Now, yeah, it's it was a scary time to be. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I knew a little bit about him because my mom was big in like the 70s serial killers and those type of things. She was super interested in that. She's always had a had a thing for psychology and um, things of that nature. 
but I always thought about those things in California, in New York, in areas that were nowhere near us, you know, um, and those types of things, but they haven't happened there. And then again, thank God they did bring up the awareness. Yes. Did it freak me out as a kid? Yes. But was it the right thing to do? A million percent. Yes, it was um, to make it more known, to make it on the news, to bring attention to these kidnappings. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't think without the Weatherling Foundation, we eventually would have gotten to the Amber Alerts. Uh, we never would have made that leap. Um, so, yeah, it's it's huge. And, you know, it's a horrible thing to have happened. And it's a horrible thing that it happened that way. But the way that the Wetterlings handled it and what they set about, um, really, I think, you know, one of the things we forget is that the coordination between even counties on these things was not there. Even, even today, we talk about, you know, if a murder happens here, if a murder happens there, there's still a gap of communication um, between counties. But when it comes to kidnappings, that goes out the window. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, it was it's unfortunate that it happened, but it, it brought at least there was like a, maybe a little the, a sliver of a silver lining in that it probably has helped prevent or even, you know, find children before God knows what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I just even but even when you look at the most kidnappings, Wetterling is an anomaly. It's yeah. very rare. That's a complete stranger. Uh, that's what makes it more terrifying. I think. So yes. Even though when I think about it, it's just scary because it's just random. I completely agree with you. Okay, do you want to take us out now that we've gone through all of that? Yeah. Uh, next week. We will be on episode nine or episode two of season two. I'd rather just do it like that because otherwise I'm going to get so confused. Yeah. We'll be going through that. And uh, do you think we should just do the one? Do you think we should? Because I do think that one is also a lot to unpack. That's a lot to unpack because I think since it's Lynch, we'll give it a little more weight, I think. Mm hmm. Uh, because there's they introduce a lot in that one too but yeah so next week we'll do episode nine coma and uh until then the owls are not what they seem